0: Listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. So, as we move closer to the season of Advent, you will notice that the gospel readings become more intense, cautionary, and demanding. We'll see that pattern extend into Advent, specifically into its opening weeks. First, when an adult Jesus is very much in view, coming with words similar to what we hear tonight. And then when John the Baptist appears with his dire warnings, repent, repent, repent. Yet, the season will move toward the stories of Annunciation and then to Nativity. With their very different tones of hopefulness, we'll get there, but not yet. For tonight, we have this intense and cautionary message spoken by Jesus. In the days just prior to his arrest, there are words about the temple being thrown down, of wars and insurrections, even dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. Then are those words about arrests and persecutions coming for those who continue to try to follow the Jesus way, which might well have left his poor little band of disciples more than a little confused, worried, and unsure. What's interesting here is that the lectionary has matched this very urgent gospel story with an extraordinarily generous and hope-filled reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. Christians can too easily imagine that the Old Testament is all fire and toughness and doom and gloom, and the New Testament is all hopeful and generous. But that's a very thin way to think about our scriptures now, in fairness, many of the prophets and many of the stories from the Hebrew Scriptures do place an enormous emphasis on following the scruples of the Torah and on what it costs Israel when it neglects to do just that. But then shining through that are these sorts of teachings that transcend anyone's ability to to completely be faithful to the Torah and instead dare to imagine a coming time when the law will be written on our hearts, not on stone tablets. In the words of Jeremiah, that prophet who can be among the crankiest of prophets in the Old Testament, there's this. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So here, from the book of Isaiah, we have this extraordinary set of images for how things should be and in the fullness of time shall be. Listen to some of those phrases again and just let them sink in a little bit. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in the city, or the cry of distress. No more shall there be an infant that lives but a few days, or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit Now he's writing to a people who know loss and exile, who know what it is to have to build a house but not be able to live in it or to work somebody else's fields, not being able to harvest for yourself. And he's saying, no, 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 no. There's this vision that says we'll build our own houses and tend our own vineyards and eat. And there's an abundance in that, right? And then The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. Perhaps most strikingly, the lines with which our reading tonight began. For I am about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. Former things shall not be remembered or even come to mind. This is Isaiah writing God's perspective, saying God will not even remember the old failings, the old sins, the old brokenness. God will instead offer a clean slate, not even letting the foibles and failings come to mind. It is an extraordinary text, full of the deepest hope for a people broken. This poet Isaiah writes, Walter Brueggemann, Isaiah knows that God's coming newness is not contained within our present notions of the possible. What this poet imagines for his treasured city, the subsequent people of faith have regularly entertained as a promise over every failed city. Here the old city is submitted to the wonder of the Creator, the one who makes all things new. Now Isaiah, of course, holds this dream and vision for a renewed or a remade Jerusalem, yet several hundred years after he lives, after he uttered those bold and visionary words, we find Jesus in that very same city of Jerusalem, standing at the temple that had been rebuilt after the original temple, the one that Isaiah knew so well, had been destroyed by the Babylonian army in the year 587 before Christ. Jesus is now saying that this second temple rebuilt as the people returned home from exile in Babylon, and then grandly enhanced, almost entirely rebuilt again by King Herod in the decades before Jesus was born. Jesus is now saying, and this second temple, Herod's temple, is going to fall. Not one stone will be left upon another, which is what happened in the year 70, About 40 years after his death and resurrection, when the Roman Empire marched its armies in and took Jerusalem to pieces in response to the uprisings and rebellions of the citizens of that city. Jesus knows that this old way of being Israel, this old way of thinking about Jerusalem and its grand temple, simply will not hold. The old way served the people well enough in its time. But in Christ has been born a new way. As he says in the gospel according to John, right at the moment when he's driven the money changers and merchants out of the temple, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. On which John offers the comment, he was speaking of the temple of his body. The transition from the old to the new, the very emergence of the new right in the midst of the brutal Roman Empire will not be easy, he's saying to them. They will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors because of my name." You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death. You will be hated because of my name. And all of those things did, in fact, come to be within a generation or so of Jesus' death and resurrection. With the rise of the emperor Nero to the throne... The persecutions of Christians began to reach a point of perverse absurdity. Persecutions under the emperors would continue in waves over the coming years, right up until the year 313, when the emperor Constantine instituted the Edict of Milan, making Christianity a legal and acceptable faith within the empire. 313... So for all those years prior to that, from the year of Jesus' death sometime in the 30s up till 313, at the whim of the emperor or the local governor, the persecutions would surge again. Those words of Jesus had a very particular applicability to those ancient times, including the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. And then for Christians over those next couple of hundred years, But, as N.T. Wright insists, they have a good deal to say to the subsequent church as well, our church. He writes, wherever Christians are persecuted for their faith, and make no mistake, around the world right now, Christians are seriously persecuted for their faith in different places. Wherever that happens, they need not only the prayers and support of their fellow believers in more fortunate places like Winnipeg, but also the comfort and encouragement of these words from Paul. Don't let anyone deceive you. A chance to tell your story. I'll give you wisdom. You'll keep your lives through patience. These, Bishop Wright continues, these are still precious promises to be learnt ahead of time and clung to in the time of need. And we hold with that Isaiah's bold dream of a time when the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, God's peaceable kingdom. And we catch glimpses of it now in our own lives, in our relationships and friendships, in our communities, and sometimes even in the city that lies beyond the walls of our church and our homes, little glimpses of a hope-filled and peaceable kingdom. May God bring that to be. May God bring about a peaceable kingdom in a world that so often fails to dream of peace. And may we, as those who pledge to follow the living Christ, continue to have the courage to dream and hope and imagine that peaceable kingdom. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalogue of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.